0: Hello and welcome to the Totally Clinical Podcast, brought to you by TechRo. Totally Clinical is a deep dive into the freshest trends, big time challenges, and most excellent triumphs of clinical trials. I'm Hannah, your host. Join me as I chat with industry experts, trailblazers, thought leaders, and most importantly, the people benefiting from clinical research. So tune in, settle back, and don't touch that dial. It's time to get totally clinical. This week, Dr. Anna Metabol, senior scientist at the Clarity Foundation, an advocacy group that improves the survival and quality of life of women suffering from ovarian cancer, joins me on the podcast. During this podcast, Anna Meta explains why clinical trials should be considered as an alternative to standard of care why it's sometimes difficult for patients to get access to trials, and what patients urgently need to know about exclusion criteria for oncology clinical trials. Thank you for joining me. Could you start by explaining more about your background and how you came to work at Clarity? Yes, absolutely. I have a PhD degree in chemistry, and my background is really in the
1: field of signal transduction, which you basically can think of this is how cells communicate. Before Clarity, I did clinical research in uh, leukemia. I studied the most common leukemia among adults. That's called uh, chronic lymphocytic leukemia or CLL. At the time, I worked at the University Hospital of Copenhagen in Denmark, and I identified a novel prognostic gene in CLL that I named CLU1. I was able to secure funding to start a small company in Denmark to continue studying the potential clinical applications of CLU1 and I also actually later continued that work at the Morris Cancer Center at UCSD here in San Diego. Ultimately, I sold the rights to the Clue one d to a larger company that commercialized the findings. Around that time, a friend of mine, unfortunately, had been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She uh, found support at Clarity and was really thankful. So she got involved with the fundraising at Clarity. And that's kind of actually the first time how I like that I heard about Clarity. I also at that time actually talked to another acquaintance who is one of the founding board members of Clarity. And when she heard that I was looking for a new opportunity, she suggested that I talk to Clarity. And that's six years ago.
0: So an entrepreneurial background as well as a scientific one. Now, despite the clinical trials process coming under the spotlight during COVID, many people still don't fully understand the process and there are misconceptions around how trials work. Could you explain more about what the different types of trials are? Absolutely. The
1: ultimate goal of running clinical trials is to find more effective drugs or drug combinations for patients. And the process of taking a drug from preclinical research in the lab and all the way to approval, it's really long and complicated and expensive. A drug has to go through testing in phase one trials, phase two trials and phase three trials and process is highly regulated. Here in the US, this process is uh, run by the FDA. The first time a drug is given to humans will be in a phase one trial. And the phase one trial really has very distinct purposes the main purpose of a Phase one trial is to evaluate the safety of the drug. Then it is to find the optimal dosage to get the drug with, and then also to identify any potential side effects of the drug. So the very early stages of a Phase one trial is what we call the dose escalation phase. So you start out giving a very low dose of the drug to a few people, typically three people. They enroll into this cohort we call with the lowest dose of the drug. And if no dose limiting toxicity is seen in in that state, then you jump to the next lowest level of the drug. In that way, you test the drug kind of in a stepwise fashion to find the best dose that you can give. Basically, you you basically try and find the the maximal tolerated dose. So that is really the goal of the phase one trial. And when the phase one trial is finished, the results, of course, have to be um, submitted to the FDA. And if the FDA feels that there's reason to to think that this drug is safe and it makes sense to continue, they will allow the trial sponsor to start a phase two trial. And phase two trials are typically a little bit larger than the phase one trials. Typically about maybe 50 to 200 patients are treated in a trial. And the phase two trial is really the first time you're looking for efficacy. So you're really trying to study if a drug is able to stabilize cancer
0: or potentially also to, to shrink tumor So that's really the goal. And the next phase, phase three, is where patients can benefit from best standard of care treatments, isn't it? You know, we really ultimately want to find new drugs that are at least
1: as effective and hopefully better of the best standard therapy that's already available for people. So a phase three trial is a much larger study. It typically can enroll maybe thousand or even two thousand people. And the goal of the phase three trial is really you want to confirm that the new drug or drug combination is efficacious. And you also want to compare this new treatment to that best standard treatment that the patient would receive if they did not enroll in the clinical trial. So to do that, you really, in phase three trials, you you typically have multiple arms. So patients enroll, and then they are randomly assigned to receive either the new treatment, the experimental treatment, or to get in the arm where they are treated by um, the current best standard that we know. This comparison is really necessary because we need to know is the new treatment good you know even though in a phase two trial you may have seen the promising uh, results it can be difficult to tell how this new treatment potentially lines up against the best standard that we already know and to to make sure that this comparison in the phase three trial is not biased, that the randomization is done, you know, so people are completely randomly assigned to each arm and also that that um, the trial can sometimes also be run blinded, which means that neither the patient nor the doctor knows if the patient is getting the standard treatment or is getting the experimental therapy.
0: Now, a lot of patients see clinical trials as a last resort, but patients can actually take part at any stage, can't they?
1: So that is a common misconception that clinical trial is something that you consider once you have already basically used up all your other options, and I think that's really wrong. You really can think about a clinical trials at any stage of your disease because clinical trials are run for patients that have just been diagnosed and for patients that have had multiple prior therapies. So you can really think about clinical trials as a way to get access to tomorrow's treatment already today. And another thing I hear is, when I talk to people, is that the care that you receive on a clinical trial can actually often be better than the care you get when you're treated outside a clinical trial. Because in clinical trials, it will often be more important to monitor you know, the progression of the disease or the, the degree of response to a given therapy. So I really think uh, people should basically consider clinical trials for every time they have to make a treatment decision.
0: Ovarian cancer is a disease where fast access to trials is really important because of the low survival rate. And clinical trials have really helped improve ovarian cancer treatment over the last few years. Could you expand on this?
1: It's true that we really have seen some really, really big leaps in the ovarian cancer care. And those results, uh, those changes have come by because of clinical trials. And I think the area that really jumps to mind that has affected most women is the area of maintenance therapy. That is really now a standard practice in ovarian cancer treatment. Maintenance treatment is treatment that's given to help keep cancer from coming back after it has disappeared following the initial therapy. So it used to be that women with ovarian cancer, when they were diagnosed, would have surgery, surgery. And then undergo chemotherapy, typically six cycles of chemotherapy. And the vast majority of women, fortunately, would have a good response to that initial therapy. But about five, six years ago, a new type of drug was went into clinical trials in ovarian cancer. That's a type of drug that's called a PARP inhibitor.
0: Could you give a bit more detail in layperson's terms? What is a, a PARP inhibitor? So cells, when they grow,
1: They have to double all the genetic material that is inside the cell, and that's a very complicated process. And this is a process that's actually also a lot of kind of spontaneous mistakes happen, but our cells are very good at fixing a lot of these mistakes. PARP inhibitors are drugs that actually go in and block some of those repair mechanisms. And cancer cells are particularly prone to these PARP inhibitors because cancer cells grow faster. So blocking the PARP mechanism can really hurt cancer cells. The studies that were started in ovarian cancer five, six years back were that it was determined that we were trying to study whether a PARP inhibitor maintenance therapy could benefit women and whether it could actually help women live for longer without any evidence of disease. And the studies that were like multiple large phase three studies that looked at this question and all of the studies were really, 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 really positive. So basically we have learned that all women with ovarian cancer benefit from getting PARP inhibitor maintenance therapy. So now after these studies were finished, it has now been approved for women that they can get a PARP inhibitor maintenance therapy when they had a response to their initial chemotherapy treatment. What we also now understand is that even though all women benefit from parp inhibitor maintenance therapy, some women benefit more than others.
0: So why is genomic testing so important? So
1: about half of women that have ovarian cancer, they have some underlying genetic changes in their cells that make the cancer cells particularly sensitive. And this underscores the importance of genomic testing and tumor testing for newly diagnosed patients with ovarian cancer. If you get a genomic and tumour testing, it allows you to understand your potential benefit from PARP inhibitor maintenance therapy. So you, in collaboration with your doctor, a woman that has been diagnosed with ovarian cancer can discuss whether a PARP inhibitor maintenance therapy is a good choice for
0: her. Oncology trials can have quite strict inclusion and exclusion criteria, which can cause some problems for patients, especially if they're looking to take part in trials at a later stage. What do people need to know about clinical trial participation in oncology trials?
1: That's a really important point. You know, inclusion and inclusion criteria really are designed to kind of specify which patients are being studied in a given trial. And inclusion criteria will typically identify the exact type of the cancer, what stage of the cancer are being studied, and potentially also describe if a specific group of patients with the same type of genetic alteration can enroll in the trial exclusion criteria is more of a a way to kind of make sure that, that people that may confuse the results of the trial or even people that have underlying conditions should not enroll in a trial if a drug is already known to have certain side effects. But the one thing that I really want to point out is that often an exclusion criteria is how many prior therapies a patient have already had. You know, so a lot of trials, particularly the later stage trials, will require that you have had potentially just two prior therapies. And that may be a problem sometimes. This underscores why it's so important to look at clinical trials early, because you know some women that I talk to have already had four different types of standard chemotherapy treatment, and that makes them ineligible to enroll in certain trials. I just find it very important that people, every time they're making a treatment decision, they should be aware of both the standard options and the clinical trial options and then make the best choice possible based on that.
0: Yeah, that's something a lot of people wouldn't know. So it's really important to highlight that, I agree. Previously on this podcast, Dr. Deborah Zakowski, your colleague, discussed Clarity's clinical trial finder so patients can discover trials quickly in their area. Why, in your opinion, is this important? Finding a, a clinical trial
1: is actually a really complicated process, and it can be quite overwhelming. There are fortunately so, so many different clinical trials out there and sifting through all that information can be very difficult. Our clinical trial finder really focuses on the trials that are available for women with ovarian cancer. And we also ask a number of questions in the trial finder that help specify you know, basically narrow down the amount of trials available based on a patient's specific situation. It can be how many prior therapies that patients have had, and it can be what type of genetic alterations does this patient have. And it can also be that if a patient is just interested in looking for trials that are enrolling in a certain state. So instead of potentially looking at 200 trials, a patient will maybe now have a list of 20 trials to consider. So I think that is really, um, that helps people a lot.
0: One subject we talk about here at TechCro is access to clinical trials via physicians. But it can be difficult for physicians to know how to easily recommend patients to trials. How do you think this could best be addressed?
1: Finding a trial can be really difficult and it's a really time intensive and labor intensive process. So unfortunately, I think that physicians often do not have enough time to also engage in this uh, process. Many physicians are aware of the trials that are available at their institutions, but for some patients, they want to know what's available in my state or what's available in the whole country. At Clarity, we really have a shared passion to improve outcomes for women with ovarian cancer. So our goal is to help the women that contact us. And we also encourage the women to share all the information that we can give them to take that to their doctor and to discuss the options with their doctor. And we have also physicians that use our tool because it enables them to very quickly get an overview of what are the options, for example, in a a particular state. We do also have another program that's called Steps Through Ovarian Cancer, where we offer women psychosocial support. And the goal is really to help every woman live with ovarian cancer on her own
0: terms. Is there anything else you'd like to add about the importance of clinical trials?
1: I just hope that these explanations about how clinical trials are designed and what's the purpose of the different clinical trials has helped remove fear about enrolling in a clinical trial and has helped people understand that clinical trials are important to consider at
0: any stage of their disease. And that's your dose of Totally Clinical. You can download our podcast on Apple, Spotify and Google. Please subscribe and leave a rating and review so more people can find the show. See you on your next visit and remember to bring your friends. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.